Today, I'm delighted to have in the studio with us Kevin Ward, the Executive Director of Interfaith Outreach, uh, which is an important partner of St. Philip the Deacon. Uh, it was a joy to visit with him and, and talk with him about the important work they're doing, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Stay tuned. Hello, friends. Pastor Tim Westermeyer here, senior pastor of St. Philip the Deacon in the western suburbs of Minneapolis. We're doing something a little different from our usual episodes today. For the second time, uh, it's not just going to be me, but I'm doing an interview, which I'm really excited about. Uh, I'm sitting here with Kevin Ward. Kevin is the executive director of Interfaith Outreach, which is a longtime ministry partner of uh, St. Philip the Deacon, the church I serve. Um, He started in that role in December of 2020. Uh, we first met in the first quarter of 21 uh, and actually have been getting together every month um, for breakfast as, and have become good friends. So um, I'm delighted that Kevin is here in our community as an important community leader. I'm also blessed by his friendship. And Kevin, welcome. Glad to have you here. It's official. It's official. It's official. That's right. I feel, feel official. Good. Uh, so... This is going to be sort of a free-ranging conversation, but for those who may be watching who are not familiar with Interfaith Outreach, why don't you start by giving us a sense of what that organization is, when it started, what it does, and so forth. Absolutely. First, I'd like to say hi to all the listeners out there. So glad to be here. Interfaith Outreach started in 1979, and it was the combination of those in the faith community coming together and wanting to be more strategic in how they were seeing some of the needs and responding to those needs. So instead of someone who needed something going to this church for this, this church for that, or over here for that, they said, let's have a coordinated effort. And they came together and it started in the basement of one of our faith partners Mm. um, with just meeting some basic needs of food and some clothing and over the 40 plus years have really grown into um, some really important programs, specifically for those families who are living in the Western suburbs who may be struggling uh, to meet some of those basic needs. Okay, and we'll get to um, some conversations about what's happening with Interfaith right now since you led or took over leadership, but um, maybe give us a little sense of how you got there, a little of your background, some of your training. How did you end up there as their executive director? Yeah, well, I am fortunate to be in the position that mm-hmm. I'm in leaving leading interfaith outreach. Um, And back in 2000, I was working for a youth organization helping them expand nationally. And it was right around the time when George Floyd uh, was murdered and I was just feeling this this need and desire to lead. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course I was on the leadership team at that organization and did a lot of work to help the staff through that. Um, And in that process, this opportunity for interfaith came up. And I was really intrigued by the opportunity because at the youth organization I met with, they really did a great job of focusing on the youth. Mm. But the approach that interfaith had, youth was a part of it, but they could also meet some of the other needs that were showing up in those families. Mm. And so it was a more of a holistic approach to some of the complex challenges that families were facing. And ironically enough, um, many people don't know this, but 
years ago when I was living in Cincinnati, um, Christ Community, which was a Presbyterian church, they had a similar model that um, I became the executive director because mm. the current executive director fell ill mm. and they asked me to come in and, and take over and it was a much smaller operation but had a food shelf, was supported um, by a lot of the local faith community. Um, and so many years later, it kind of came full circle that, hey, I get to do this again, but I get to do it um, with a lot more experience and other things, but also on a larger scale. Mm -hmm. um, and so my background is a combination of corporate America, um, entrepreneurship, ministry. Um, I have my master's in divinity, went to United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio, um, and have always felt a call, if you will, um, to give back, to give back to those in our community. Uh, and interfaith provided the opportunity where I feel all of my skills and experience culminates into this opportunity. Mm -hmm. And you anticipated the next question I was going to ask, but maybe I'll ask you to tease it out a little bit more, which has to do with... Um, you know, if the word faith is in the name of the organization itself, interfaith outreach. So can you just say a little more about the role of faith in your own life? And again, how it, you talk about a sense of call to this kind of work, but can you say anything more about what that looks like for you, for Kevin Ward? Or? Yeah. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, which is one of my favorite um, scriptures from the Bible. Faith for me started very early in my life. Um, growing up in Southern Virginia, it started off just a, a bus, an old school bus that was converted to a church bus, mm. coming to pick up some kids and take them um, to church on a Sunday. And it was there that I remember just feeling um, this amazing experience and learning these stories and in uh, Bible class or Bible school. Do, do they still do Bible? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. We try. <laughs> People still go. No, yes. just <laughs> Everyone. They <Okay>. all come. <laughs> but it's a, um, just hearing all the stories, you know, those biblical stories. Mm -hmm. and um, And it was always central growing up. But it was different because it didn't necessarily come from my mom mm. or my family. Mm. It was more external that didn't connect it to me. And I became the catalyst for um, many of those in my families mm. um, coming into the faith and, and living a life of faith. Mm. And that's always been with me in all the things that I've done. And when I, um, although we're not a religious organization, we're mm -hmm. a nonprofit 501c3 and faith is an important part of our history and how we are, were founded um we're supported by that but in this role it's also ecumenical mm -hmm. where it's not one faith it's many faiths mm -hmm. coming together uh, to help respond to the needs in this community and i have the great fortune i tell people of in my role, I literally see scripture come to life mm. every single day. Mm. It's not theoretical. 
I really see what it means to clothe. Mm. I know what it feels like and uh, to have the opportunity to truly feed um, and to meet some of those basic needs. And so um, just an incredible opportunity and I'm very grateful nice. for it. Love that. Thank you. Um, yeah. One of the things, so again, we've been getting together pretty much every month for whatever it is, two and a half years now, is that yeah. right? three, three, whatever. Two and a half, yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, we've talked about all kinds of things. One of the things that we've talked about more than a few times is the work you've been doing to sort of inform and influence and change the strategic plan of interfaith. Um, That continues to be, I know, a Mm -hmm. a priority for you. So maybe you want to share a little bit about the work you've been doing on that front? Yeah. So when when I came in at the end of 2020, the organization had just gone through in the process of transition a legacy leader, a wonderful leader mm-hmm. who started the organization and um, was at an important inflection, but it was also, it lined, it lined up with the time to do the strategic plan. And so wanted to be really intentional about that process. So it, we took about eight months to do it. Mm-hmm. And we were very inclusive of including all our stakeholders. So clients, employees, donors, volunteers, um, our partners, as many people as we could to really understand we had just come through a pandemic or was still kind of in that pandemic. Things were different. And I kept asking the question, had the needs in the community changed? Mm. And so we went through this process and in that, as a result of that, coming out of that, we really honed in in becoming a more client-centered organization. And it's putting the client at the center of everything we do. Mm-hmm. And we started off with this, you remember BHAG, mm-hmm. Jim yeah, Carl, Collins, sure. yeah, Good absolutely. to Great, was it 1997? That sounds about right. I think so. Yeah. Um, you can all, big, if, you, if that's wrong, y'all yeah, can I'm, I'm sure comment in the I'm positive they will. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> But great book, but that BHAG was yeah, very popular. For sure, um, yeah. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Mm-hmm. And our big, hairy, audacious goal was to give those we serve what they need when they need it. Mm. And so this past year, we went on a year of, of then really assessing what are the needs and what does that mean? And we were trying to define what that would look like for interfaith outreach and community partners. And we couldn't necessarily define it as a definition, what we were able to do was to come up with a model Mm. that really encapsulated the principles that we were already living, that we just needed to streamline, Mm -hmm. that then allows us to consistently across the organization, deliver our services in a way that was Mm client-centered. And so we really focused on that, um, as well as, in order to be client-centric, I knew we first had to be employee-centric. Mm. Because of the work that we do and our staff gives so much to our clients, mm. um, we had to continue to build on that legacy of having a, an environment where people really felt supported and um, felt like they had the tools and resources to do their work. And um, just won an amazing award as a mm. result of that. Um, now we really feel that our staff is in a position to really be client centered or client centric 
supported by the community, of course. Mm-hmm. And that's really been our focus. Um, mm-hmm. And we have done some assessments, a um, couple things that have come up as far as gaps in the community. Um, one of the other things I'll say too is when I got here, we we do a lot as a, as a community organization. Mm-hmm. And I just felt we needed some focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really honed in on those things we do really well. And like in our name, Interfaith Outreach and Community Partners, let's find partners who do what they do extremely well mm-hmm. and let's partner with them with some intentionality mm. and allow them to do their work, we do our work. And so as a result of that, a couple things bubbled up in this process. So food con- continues to be a challenge specifically given the economy the cost mm-hmm. of living um housing affordable housing specifically out mm-hmm. in this area is still an area of opportunity where we're going to continue to do some advocacy and and work with our sister organization mm-hmm. the outreach development corporation mm-hmm. mental health as you know is still a challenge mm-hmm. Um, and then the one that we actually need to build something new is around transportation. Hmm. Transportation continues to be, um, a burden on people getting from point A to point B. And we have addressed that in helping to keep people's cars running, Hmm. um, helping them to purchase it when it makes sense. Um, but we need, I think we, we, we're going to spend some time exploring, what does a what does a transportation system looks like where we can partner with other organizations and really meet the needs within this community? So those are just some of the things that bubbled up as mm-hmm. a result of the work we've been doing. You mentioned a little bit ago um, a, an award you just received. Does it that's public now? Then yeah, okay, I think it, I think it is public. M- maybe yeah. you just want to so that it's not a mystery so this, to people. What? Is this is this like a um, like I'm unveiling, yeah, the, I don't the, the know. big reveal right Maybe. here, live. <laughs> well, it's not going to be live, it's <laughs> okay. taped. So. But I, it's live for me now. Yeah, okay. Coming to you live. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to say something about it, you can, yeah, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, we just got Top Workplace. Yeah. The Star Tribune local paper does this, um, does this annually. And they send out a survey to your employees and your employees have to respond to that survey. Mm-hmm. And it's strictly, it's, it's the employees speaking, you know, right. you, and it's a, they go through a third party that does the, all the research and, and tally. And so in our segment of small business, we were able to get number 16, which is a top workplace, which is a huge honor for us. Mm-hmm. And we're just excited um, that our employees feel that way, that it's a place um, and one of the things that I started saying, it was probably Tim, probably my, after about four or five weeks after I've just kind of been a sponge and looked around, this idea of the place of most potential hmm. really started to to bubble up in me. And that's how I refer to Interfaith. I think hmm. it's the place of most potential for all. So hmm. that's those who have needs, those who um, want to volunteer, Mm-hmm. Those who want employment, those mm-hmm. who want to partner, uh, there's potential uh, in our model. 
Well, and it's a test. That award is a testament to your excellent and strong leadership. So, congratulations to you on that as well. Thank you. Appreciate that. Which maybe is a segue to one of the other things I wanted to tease out, um, which is actually around leadership specifically, uh, whether it's um, at Interfaith or in your experiences leading up to Interfaith. Are there some uh, lessons in leadership that you've learned that you could articulate for people? things that they might apply in their own lives of leadership? Yeah, you know, Mm. leadership is a fascinating thing. And Mm. um, when I I think about leadership, um, and this is Kevin as as an individual, I think leadership is a privilege, Mm. and people have to want to follow. Mm. Um, But in order to lead, I think you first have to learn how to follow well. And I've been very fortunate to be in situations where I had great leaders to follow mm-hmm. and to model after. We have a tremendous board that I follow. And so although I'm in a leadership position, I'm still following mm-hmm. um, and ultimately following the great leader, uh, <laughs> of yeah. course, right? Yeah. Um, but I think understanding how to follow and what it means to be a follower as you lead. Mm-hmm. The the other thing that I think is important specifically in my role is I don't feel like I have to have all the answers. Mm. Um, I've been very fortunate to have folks around me that have areas of expertise that I trust to do their roles and do their jobs well in which they do. Um, and just allowing them room to do that Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never once felt it was about me. Yeah. It's about the mission. It's about the, the people not only we serve, but those who give generously, mm-hmm. um, making that connection. And so with it not being about me, with understanding the importance of fellowship, I think the, I think the final thing, you know, as a leader, um, the more and more I, I, I think about it, Tim, the, the mm. more and more I'm convinced that as the organization has success and grows, mm-hmm. the more that I feel myself can step back mm. because we've done a great job of building other leaders and building those around us mm-hmm. where, of course, I'm the face and have to play that role. Right. But when the organization can run extremely well, when people know what they have to do and they're equipped to do it, mm-hmm. um, my role just becomes different as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that metaphor because the people are leading mm. at that point. Nice. Which is what, which is how I like to measure my leadership. Related to this question of leadership, and I, uh, that's a great answer to a big question. You're the first person of color to lead interfaith. That's one thing. But you're probably also maybe the first person of color to be a a major important leader in the Western Burbs generally. So say a word about what that means in the work you're doing and how you think about that, how we should think about that Mm -hmm. out here and so forth, if you could. Yeah, um, I think that is true. The first um, person of color specifically out 
community leader out in the western suburb and i think the I think the community was ready for it mm. you know kudos to the search team and and the the committee that um chose me mm. um because i do think not only being a person of color but also bringing some lived experience i think has really made this opportunity unique um and there's been great support and response from the community um and tim i think it's um i didn't come in and try to change the community Mm -hmm. i came in and wanted to learn and understand who this community is and how can i be helpful in helping them to become who they want to become and so a lot of times my in that role of again diversity in that role of lived experience a lot of times I hold a mirror up and provide insights and opportunity that if people want to make different decisions on things, mm. they can, but they have perspective at the table that maybe they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And I consider that a, a great, great privilege and part of my responsibility in showing up. Are you able to share, maybe just use that phrase, lived experience of your own experience? Is there one example from your own history that you could maybe name for our listeners that would, that's been applicable either to your clients or to the partners of Interfaith today? Yeah. So when, um, and the organization that kind of started down this path of work as a result of COVID, but we made an important shift in our food shelf, um, People used to sign up and there would be a line out the door when you got there in the morning and COVID allows us to rethink that. And so Mm -hmm. we went to more of a system where you could sign up and be on a scheduled time. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we moved to a different model called a super shelf, Mm -hmm. which we work with the University of Minnesota to really think about um, behavior economics is what they use. Mm -hmm. And we changed the feel, we, we painted it, you know, it's much brighter, it's got signage, we have four different languages. When you first come in, it's fruits and vegetables and the healthy things are, are strategically put there. Um, and then we have specific things throughout that people can select for themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the insights was growing up, you know, uh, my mom and I had to leverage a food shelf and my mom was very young when she had me. And I remember we would go and we would get this food, but we would come home. But my mom didn't know how to make half the stuff mm. that was given. Hmm. And so it wasn't necessarily about what we needed. It was about what they wanted to give. Hmm. Now I think we're much more conscious about who's visiting our food shelf. And do we have culturally specific or situation specific food Hmm. that really can help that family to eat. And I think our team does a really good job at trying to make sure that we keep that front and center because it was personal experience for me. That makes sense. And you know, for instance, just knowing someone who, someone can come in a food shelf and we can kind of tell if they're homeless or not, based off the things that they choose, hmm. which is much easier to make. Interesting. Than someone who has a permanent place. Got it. Again, that's a little yeah. insight from experience. Hmm. 
I mentioned in my intro that uh, I should have looked it up. St. Philip Deacon's been a longtime partner of Interfaith, as have many other faith communities. It's a really important part of our life here, our culture here. Um, I, I don't know the ins and outs of your needs, obviously, as well as you do, but clearly it's the kind of place that requires the support of, of the entire community to make it run. Um, so maybe as we bring this to a close, are there, if someone were to say to you, Kevin, how can I help? You know, how, how can people engage the work of interfaith? What do you need the most right now? Where, where, how would you respond to that? Yeah. I, I first want to say, um, a thank you to all those mm. who, including St. Philip's the Deaconess, who have historically supported us and been there mm. the 40 plus years. Um, sincere thank you because we wouldn't be where we are mm. without the community. And I love this idea of neighbors helping neighbors. Um, and that's the, that's the legacy that we get to continue to carry on and build on. But as we move forward, there's, there's always volunteer opportunities, but specifically in our, in our food shelf mm. and in our resale. Um, are just areas because of the operations, it takes a lot of people to make that happen. Um, and I didn't talk much about our resale shop, but we people can donate their goods, clothes, and we're able to yeah. um, then sell it. Right. And most of that money goes back to our programs. So it's a you're you're literally helping the organization and, and our bottom line. Um, so I think volunteering. Um, we will start to do some advocacy work for those who may have some passions around different things that we are focusing on, like affordable housing or mm -hmm. mental health or um, through our um, CFK, um, caring for kids, early childhood. Those things, there's opportunities to um, get involved there. Um, and of course, you know, we always are uh, need money. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's how things happen. And so, um, financial contributions are always welcome and mm -hmm. they can go on our, our website and, and donate there or send us, send it. But I think those, those three things of volunteering, figuring out if advocacy is important to you and how to align to that program mm -hmm. and then continuing to support us. Eventually. And we can provide the link, but what's the website? www. IOCP.org. And the IOCP is Interfaith Outreach and Community right. Partners. Cool. Um, anything else that I didn't ask you that I should have that you want to <laughs> say as we make an end here? No, I just want to um, thank you, Tim. Mm. I really have appreciated our, our friendship and relationship. Mm. You early on just welcomed me in and um, have just been a great partner mm. and someone I can call and, and ask questions and um, get a different perspective. And so I really appreciate that. Well, it goes both ways. You're a, you are an incredible gift to Interfaith and to the uh, community broadly. Uh, and you're an incredible gift to me personally. I'm really Thank grateful you. for your friendship and grateful you took a little time to sit down and uh, talk into the mic today. So thanks for that. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up here. So thanks again to Kevin Ward. Uh, continue to keep him and the work of Interfaith in your prayers. Reach out to them if you're interested in helping out. And um, as I close every episode, for each of you out there, be well, stay in touch, and God bless. Mm -hmm.